0: This show is part of the Stuff Podcast Network.
1: Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale Of Fionn McCool, Coo Cullen, Deirdre, Draw the sorrows grow new your wail From giants right down to fairies, above the drooping and solitary And ghosts who are sometimes scary Anything goes by the fireside yeah. Fireside, the book fireside, the marrow fireside. Kings and queens, fat and heroes, don't you run from the fun? there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. hello and welcome to fireside the irish storytelling podcast each episode of fireside we take a story from folklore mythology we retell it Have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan, I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 139 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we have one of the first, we have the very first of the three Welsh romances from the Mabinogion, the tales of Welsh mythology. This is the story of Peridir, Knight of the Round Table. We are doing an Arthurian legend on Fireside which is not as sacrilegious as it may sound. But first, a very big welcome to every new and returning listener. If this is your first episode you're listening to, you can listen to this one. If you like that, maybe go back to the beginning of our stories of Welsh mythology, which began with Pulch, Prince of David. And if not, why don't you head back to the very, very beginning, episode one, and see what we've been building up to on the journey that has taken us nearly three years thus far. If you're a returning listener, thank you so, so much for your continued support. If you have not done so already, please follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard. It's the best place to check out my poetry, see what I'm up to with other work. If you're not on social media, you can email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. And if you really want to support the podcast, you can do so over at headstuffpodcast.com, where you can join Headstuff Plus, wherever as little as €5 a month, although you can pay more if you want. You can gain access to not just bonus material for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network, and they are constantly growing. They're adding new fantastic podcasts all the time. It's well worth jumping on board to if you're a fan of Irish podcasts and Irish podcasting, and it's a great company to support. And there is a brand new episode, bonus episode, for members only of Headstuff Plus. The long-anticipated, long-awaited interview with Mark Williams, the author of Ireland's Immortals. Those who have been listening to this podcast for long enough know how much I gush and guffaw over this incredible book. And it was an incredible pleasure to interview Mark. I did it uh, December, just before Christmas last year. And it was always intended to be released as a piece of bonus material for Headstuff Plus. And I'm very delighted to say it's finally up there. So listeners, uh, subscribers to Headstuff Plus can head over and check it out. Uh, see what it's actually like for me to speak to someone else. And not just be speaking in my own room to myself. And to all of you. But of course, not in a total vacuum recording by myself. Uh, you may see a different side to me. You'll see me trying to not fanboy too much. But Mark was a great guy. We had a great chat. He gave me a, a, a very—he was very generous with his time, and he enjoyed getting to geek out about Irish mythology as much as I do. So it was a kinder egg spirit, which I was delighted with. But that is there as a member's only exclusive over on Headstuff Plus. This story—the story for this week—without using hyperbole too much, as I often would do when adapting these stories. This story very nearly killed me. Adapting this was the single hardest uh, fireside story to a- adapt, and I have a couple of ideas why. So this is the Mabinogion is split into basically like three subcategories. Uh, from according uh, from my knowledge so far, we have the four branches of the Mabinogion, we have the three Welsh romances, and then there is this collection of about five other tales, and those seem to be the three subdivisions. So these three Welsh romances are three Arthurian tales. They're three tales about and revolving around King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table. Now, the main source for a lot of these stories is, I hope I'm not going to butcher his name, but uh, Chrétien de Troyes, uh, who was a French poet and writer, who was the main uh, composer and writer, certainly the first one to write them down. A, of most of the Arthurian tales, and there is debate as to whether the tales predate him or that the tales themselves are adaptations of his work. So these three Welsh romances that fall into the Mabinogion, uh, de Troy has three very similar stories as well, and they're unsure if the Welsh tales were adapted from de Troyes or the other way around. Most likely they were. there was a bit of both, so the Welsh tales might have been adapted from these earlier versions by de Toy, but were de Troyes in turn was influenced by Welsh and Celtic mythology. So it all kind of shakes out together. But what's very interesting, and it's probably another reason why uh, these were quite difficult to adapt is you really start to see the transition from oral and bardic tradition into the literary tradition that we know so well today. You really see the very earliest examples of form and format that would grow into the novel in a couple of centuries' time after this, which has made it a particularly interesting story to adapt because there was an immediate shock to the system as I hope you'll discover as well. These are very much knights' tales. These read very differently. They read as a much more literary or almost there's something quite poetic about them as well in their structure and in their repetition. And there's still something very bardic, but it, it feels like a different beast we're dealing with here. And we very much are. And it has been a very interesting transition, you know, to come from Irish mythology and over the Irish Sea into Wales. To now be approaching like British lore as a wider thing, I think King Arthur is almost more famous than some of his parts. I'd say there's rarely a child in the Western world who doesn't know the name King Arthur, but very likely may never have read any Arthurian stories or know anything more about him, aside from perhaps the greatest of all, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So I was very excited and very interested to meet King Arthur in this very natural way. Uh, as we manoeuvre through. But we will chat more after. uh, But I think this is the first of three parts of this first story. I'm hoping that I can get them all in. This was probably the longest story I've I've adapted and tried to find the natural divisions because if at all possible, I will always try and condense stories into one episode because I would like these people to be able to dip in and out. Naturally, there is a chronology and we have had part ones, part twos and threes but I would always like to catch people up that if people do just randomly drop into Fireside that they're not totally lost and that everything is self-contained to a degree. And I think these three these three sections of this story have done that uh, quite naturally, I think, similar way to the, the four branches. There were natural pauses where it just kind of reached a conclusion of one story and then seemed to jump on to the next. So I hope I have succeeded in that endeavour, and I hope you enjoy it. We'll chat more afterwards. But this is the story of Peredir, Knight of the Round Table on Fireside. <laughs> Peredir, Knight of the Round Table. Earl Ephrog was lord over York. But he did not maintain power through diplomacy, but by jousting and tournaments. And like so many others who lived this way, Earl Ethrog died in battle, leaving his wife and seven young sons behind. And like father-like sons, the six elder sons of Ethrog also died on horseback or with a sword or lance in their hand. But the much-aggrieved mother became determined that such a fate would not befall her youngest and last surviving son. His name was Peredir, and this is his story. Peredir was raised in the woods, far away from court society, and without any knowledge of his father, brothers, or even of combat. His mother thought that the only way for Peredir to avoid the fate of all the other men of his household was to live in blissful ignorance. The closest Peredir came to knowing how to fight, or even that fighting was a thing, was that every day he would go to the woods and throw makeshift darts at the trees. But one day, while Peredir was still a teenager, he saw two men upon horseback sitting on leather, dressed in metal, with long metal sticks and broad metal plates. Paredia had never seen anything like them. So he went to his mother and he asked, Mother, what are those? They are angels, my son. So overwhelmed was Paredia by the sight of the figures, he readily accepted this answer. That was until a third rider soon followed. This figure stopped and asked the wide-eyed youth, You there, boy, have you seen two knights ride through here? I beg your pardon, sir, but how can the night sky ride through a forest? The rider stared at the boy. Not the knight, two knights. I don't know what you mean. Like me, boy. "'My name is Owain, and I am a knight of King Arthur,' Peredur said. "'Sir, if you answer my questions, I will answer yours.' Humoring the lad, Owain said, "'Gladly I will do this.' "'What is that you ride upon, that leather?' "'It is called a saddle.' And piece by piece, from bridle to stirrup, helmet to codpiece, Owain explained all of the accoutrements of a knight to the young Peredir. The boy then told him which direction the other knights had rode off in, and Owain bid the boy farewell. Peredir felt he had been asleep his entire life before that moment. He ran home to his mother. Mother, they were not angels. They were knights. And I vow this day, I will be a knight too. And in shock, Peredia's mother fainted. When she came to, his mother wept and wept. This was exactly what she had been hoping to avoid, saving her son from a life of violence and an early death. But Peredia was resolved, and she knew that there would be no changing of his mind. The lad found a piebald pony, fastened it with a makeshift hessian saddle, and prepared to set off for adventure. His mother came to him and said, My son, if this truly is to be the life for you, you must honour the following advice. First, you must always say an hour Father when you pass a church. If you find yourself in a place with food and are hungry, take it, but only what you need. Always run to the aid of someone screaming, and above all, if you must be a knight, be a knight of the round table, be a knight of King Arthur. Peredur set off for Camelot to the court of Arthur Pendragon, but on his way, he stopped at a castle inhabited by a young maiden sat at a banquet table, seemingly holding a one-woman feast. The maiden welcomed Peredir. He ate his fill, thanked his hostess, and left on his way. But when the maiden's husband, the proud knight, returned home, he asked who had been there. A polite and very courteous young squire, said the maiden. And did he have his way with you? Absolutely not. He was nothing but honourable. I do not believe you. And I will not rest until I have my revenge. Meanwhile, at the court of King Arthur, a great insult had occurred. A rogue knight had entered the court, had approached Guinevere, wife of the king, and struck her on the side of the head. The knight then turned to the assembled court and said, Who is brave enough to face me and avenge this insult? "'Whoever dares, follow me, but you had better come armed.'" None of the brave knights of the round table dared to follow the rogue knight. The opinion was that anyone who would be so bold as to assault Guinevere was no one to be trifled with. It was then that Peredir entered the court. The other knights did not even notice the shabbily dressed youth who now stood among them but a dwarf who had been in the court of arthur for over a year and had not spoken to any of the other knights approached peredir and he said welcome peredir son of Ephroc. kai one of arthur's knights was outraged by the respect the dwarf had offered Dwarf, you stay here a year without paying any deference to the knights of the round table, and you offer respect to this child. And Kai beat the dwarf where he stood. The same fate befell the dwarf's wife, who also welcomed Peredur and spoke of his father. Kai was equally cruel and beat her too. Then Kai turned to Paredia, If you are so noble to deserve respect, boy, then follow that rogue knight and avenge Guinevere's honor. I will do so gladly, tall knight, said Paredir. He bowed and left the court. Paredir soon found the rogue knight, who felt insulted at the disheveled child he now faced. I will give you this chance, boy. "'Return to Arthur and tell him to send me a real knight.' "'This is your choice,' said Peredia. "'I am leaving here today with your armour, your horse and your weapons, "'and I will take them with or without your permission.' The rogue knight laughed and charged at Peredir, and the young boy had no weapons or armor or skill in fighting, but he had crafted darts of stone and wood and fired one straight through the rogue knight's throat. Gurgling and coughing up blood, the knight fell to the ground, lifeless. Back at Arthur's court... "'Sir Owain chastised Sir Kai for sending Peredur to face the rogue knight. "'If the knight kills the boy, he will have taken him for a nobleman "'and thus bring shame on the round table.' "'So Owain followed and to his great surprise found Peredur "'standing over the corpse of the rogue knight, removing his armour and his weapons. "'I was wrong about you, lad.' Said Owain, Clearly you are a boy of great talent and promise. Come with me back to Camelot and become a knight. Sir, said Peredur, I will return to Camelot, but not until I have avenged the dwarf and his wife, not until I have had vengeance upon the tall knight. So Peredur set off on his own quest. First he came across a grey-haired man in a boat on a lake. The man asked Paredia, Can you fight with a sword, son? I am sure I could if I was taught, said Paredia. Anyone who can fight with a stick can fight with a sword. Paredia was given a stick to defend himself with, and he was approached by the grey-haired man's two sons. Both boys of a similar age, one was blonde, the other auburn-haired. Cretor naturally, Peredir overpowered both of them, even drawing blood from the auburn-haired boy. When the spar was over, the grey-haired man said, "'Well done, lad. I am your uncle, your mother's brother. These are my sons, your cousins. I will train you in swordsmanship. Your life and honor are now my responsibility.'" When his skills with steel were on par with his feats with stick, Peredir set out once more, until he came to the home of another grey-haired man. This one also asked about Peredir's skills with a sword. I have trained. What is your task? The grey-haired man pointed towards a great stone column on the ground. He asked Peredir to strike the column and to put it back together again. Peredir struck the stone with sword, and it split apart like an apple. Then, miraculously, the column was put back together again. So Peredir hit a second palpable hit. Once more the column split, and once more was repaired. But the third time Peredir hit the stone, he could not piece it back together again. The grey-haired man said, You have formidable strength, youth. I am your uncle. "'another of your mother's brothers. "'And because you could split and repair the column twice, "'it means that you have reached two-thirds of your potential strength. "'When you complete your training, you will be damn near unstoppable.' "'Peredir kept on his travels, "'defeating many rogue knights, errant earls, and wicked highwaymen. "'He spared nearly all of them, under the condition that they returned to Camelot and told Arthur that they had been defeated in his name, and also that he would not return to court until he had vengeance upon the tall knight. But when Paredia came across a young woman crying into the chest of a recently dead man, he said, Maiden, what has happened, and how can I help? You cannot help, said the crying maiden. For you are the cause of my suffering. I am your foster sister. And when you set off to become a knight, you broke our mother's heart. She carried the weight of that worry and fear and died from it. And this man here was my husband, who was killed by the knight in the nearby field in your name. Sister, said Peredir, I will right this wrong for you. "'for you, and for our mother.' "'And Peredir went to the field, "'and the knight in question was the proud one "'whom Peredir had stayed in the home of "'on the first night of his travels. "'The proud knight thought Peredir had defiled his wife "'and sought his own justice. "'And Peredir faced the knight "'and quickly overpowered him "'and had him sprawled on the ground. "'Mercy!' cried the knight and peredia said i will show you mercy if you go to the court of king arthur and tell him that you have been defeated in his name by peredia and that i shall not join him until i have revenge upon the tall knight and tell arthur that your wife is innocent of any crimes of infidelity i sat in your home ate your food and kissed her hand that's it. And the proud knight went to Arthur, and the king reprimanded Kai for having sent away and insulted such a promising young squire. Owain said, "We have reached an impasse. The Peredia will never return, and Kai will never set out." Mark my words," said King Arthur, "we will set out and bring this future knight home." Heredia came to a castle on a mountain. He went in and found the woman of the house surrounded by handmaidens. He sat with her and ate his fill. But when it came time to sleep, the lady said, It were better for you to find lodgings somewhere else, sir. Why can't I just sleep here? Because this castle is haunted by nine witches. They have laid waste to this land and they will surely be the death of you lady let me stay and help and if i cannot help i promise you i will do no harm paredia slept that night and woke at dawn to the sound of screaming he quickly threw on his shirt and sword and ran down to see a witch attacking the night watchman paredia wrenched the witch off and threw her to the ground "'Mercy, Peredia, cried the witch. "'How is it that you know my name, Hag? "'I know because you were fated to meet me. "'I will give you a horse and weapons, and I will teach you chivalry. "'I will go with you, if you promise to never torment this lady's house again.' "'And Peredia went and lived with the sorceress for three weeks,' and completed the trainings his uncles had begun and for the first time Peredir became aware of the prospect of love. A great snow soon descended over Britain and while Peredir was riding out one morning he saw a hawk swoop down and kill a duck. The trickled blood on the snow attracted a raven and when Peredur saw the black on white on red It reminded him of the ebony black hair, pale white skin, and blood-red cheeks and lips of his true love. A true love he had not even met. Paredia went into a trance-like state with these thoughts. And it was at this time when Arthur and his knights came upon him. Who is that knight in the field holding the lance? asked Arthur, pointing at Paredia. I do not know my liege, said an unnamed, unknown knight, but I will go and find out. The knight approached Paredier, and could not get a response from him, so deep in meditation was he. And Arthur's knight took this as a great insult, and he attacked Paredier, who quickly knocked him from horseback and sent him running back to Arthur. Cai was insulted that a knight of the round table had been defeated in such a way, he approached Paredir, who was so deep in trance that he did not recognize Kai as the tall knight. Kai chastised Peredur for staying silent, and he attacked him. Paredir stuck his lance straight through Kai's throat in a blow that should have killed him instantly. But Kai was carried back to Arthur, who wept for the injury to one of his dearest knights. The best physician was summoned, and Kai was treated and healed. One of Arthur's wiser knights, Gwalchmai, said to his king, Lord, a knight on horseback should not be approached in such a way. Perhaps he has recently suffered a loss or is thinking about the one he loves best. Let me approach him with respect and courtesy. So Gwalchmai was armed and slowly approached Peredur. He spoke gently to him. And Peredur came out of his meditative state. What do you think of, sir? asked Gwalchmai. I am thinking of the woman I love. I thought as much, said Gwalchmai. What is your name? I am called Peredur. And Gwalchmai smiled. Long have we searched for you, Peredur. I come from the court of King Arthur to bring you back to become a knight of the round table. Two have come before me on the same charge. Yes, and they came most discourteously. Arthur should know by now I will not return to his court until I have defeated the tall knight. The second man you faced today was Kai. He is the one who insulted the dwarf and his wife and who offended you that day. He nearly died today. You nearly killed him. Then I am satisfied, said Peredir. And the two men embraced. And Peredir rode with Qualchmai and finally met King Arthur in the flesh, who said, Arise, Sir Peredir, Knight of the Round Table. To be continued. Folks, as you all know, Fireside is a proud son of the Headstuff Podcast Network, which is Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts and a loving home for the creative and indeed the curious. There are so many other podcasts I could recommend to you on the network, some of which inspired me to approach Headstuff myself. Here's a taste of one you might enjoy.
0: Hello, Joe Rooney here. Back in 2015, I recorded my first Potter Rooney. And since then, I've been chatting to people that I meet throughout my travels, here and there, all over the world, including Sean Locke, Mary Coughlin, Frank Kelly, Joanne McAnally, Owen Colgan, Shazia Merza, Aidan Gillen and Cocha Reardon, but loads of people you'd never heard of who have very interesting tales to tell, including the, sadly, no longer with this Boston-based comedian, Barry Crimmins, who led a crusade against images of child abuse on the internet. Tracy Carroll, whose daughter Willow has the highest grade of cerebral palsy. Draha Homeless Aid. Christine Valset, a Norwegian singer-documentary maker who ended up hanging out with the young lads in nursery City Dublin and riding bareback on a horse through the city streets. All these very interesting tales to tell, and all you have to do is skip the first six minutes of me talking rubbish. That's Potteroni.
1: Good Lord, that was the tale of Peredir, Knight of the Round Table. The first of three tales about Peredir, and the first part of the three Welsh romances of Arthurian legend. I really hope you liked them. Very, very different change of pace, different kind of story. So sequential, it's almost like reading Beowulf, where it's less cause and effect and more event, event, event. And the reason, like, I condensed this story. Like, this story of Peredir, I not only have split into three anyway, but even at that, this first part, I've condensed because there was so much to it, and so much that I liked, and so much that was important. You know, things that happened at the beginning that came back, whether it's the the proud knight who seeks vengeance for his wife who has not even been defiled or offended... Whether it's Kai, who has committed the insult to, to Peredir by striking the dwarf and his wife and insulting the boy himself. And there is Sir Owain, who was the knight at the beginning. You really see this is a, this is a different kind of storytelling, a different kind of style of story that is very shocking to my system certainly but very refreshing and a new kind of challenge and something that is always good for comparing and improving and broadening your sensibilities as a storyteller both that for me as uh for me as a storyteller and but my god was it a challenge like even now i see we're already over time and i haven't even begun to to dissect and talk through the the uh the story itself Which is a good complaint to have. I remember once upon a time, back in the days when this was a little bitty baby podcast, that there were some of the folktales particularly and some of the myths as well where I was worried that the stories weren't long enough and I was going to have to waffle and fill up the afterwards. And who knows, perhaps there are some episodes where that did happen, but I hope that it's relatively few and that they were more so at the very, very beginning when I was still figuring out what I was doing and what Fireside was going to be. But that has not been the case with these Welsh myths my God, I've been condensing and condensing and still they've been the longest. Like, the episodes of Fireside have been getting longer and longer. I always said I wanted them to be between 30 and 40 minutes. I never wanted them to be any longer than 40. And I think, except for, like, a special one, like the Firesides of Horror, the Christmas episodes that have been, like, an hour long, they have, for the most part, all come in at the 30, between, like, the 30, 33 mark. But these have been steadily growing more and more which I see from my recorder, what my what my timing is of each one. But for a couple of quick just points before I leave you at off. Um, so what this story is in the Detroit version, in, in the more traditional Arthurian legends, this is actually the story, uh, the origin story of the Holy Grail, if you can believe that. And where, and is considered most notable because of its total removal of the Grail. There's no substitute for the Grail. It is at the point where... Peredir goes, or Percival, this is known as Percival and the quest for the Holy Grail in the De version, the Chrétien de De I must find out if that is how you pronounce it or if I'm totally butchering it there. But when uh, Peredir meets the first uncle, the first grey-haired man on the boat, that in the Arthurian legend is the Fisher King, and it is the Fisher King who tells Percival of the quest for the Holy Grail, and so we're into we're into territory here. I've always tried to, with the Celtic myths, try and restore them to their pagan origins by removing Christianity for them, which has not always been possible and is very difficult when some of them only have come into for after Christianity, and it's hard to know when you're just eradicating them for the sense of it and more just trying to reduce them. But here, these Arthurian legends are very firmly rooted in Christianity because of that simple fact that it is about the pursuit of the Holy Grail, which was the cup that Jesus is to have drank from at the Last Supper. And this is the the tale of uh, Percival and the quest of the Holy Grail is the story where that legend first originated. And very interesting that in the Welsh tale, which gives more... which actually gives more of a argument for this predating the 11th 12th century and from this belonging to an older bardic pagan origin is that this story of Peredir has no reference to the holy grail and thus no reference overtly to christianity except at the beginning which again is from when this was put in a literary tradition uh, when his mother tells him to start uh... When to stop and pray? Anytime he passes a church, there's some very troublesome, very problematic elements that were in the sources I used from this, which, as it has been, is the Oxford World Classics Mabinogion, and the Matt Addis audiobook, uh, where this speech that Paredia's mother gives him at the beginning, which was basically then the knight's creed, you know. Uh, to To teach him this chivalry. It's very interesting that considering what we have warped chivalry into, and it has now become increasingly associated with toxic masculinity as chivalry then turned into this sense of bravado and toxicity within men, that it's very interesting that in its origins there is an almost chastity. It's almost more like a priest-like thing, that there is a nobility and an honor. But... In this original version that I was looking at, one of the things that the mother says is, uh, so she says, stop having our father, uh, go and eat your fill of whatever food, always run to the sound of screaming. But she adds, particularly the screams of a woman. And finally, always have your way with women, even if they don't want you to as very specifically said it wasn't in the audiobook version but in the the text version that I've read that incredibly troublesome problematic statement was said which is draw dropping even no even though these stories are a thousand plus years old it's still you're really going wow when you see that written down and see where it all is rooted in that it wasn't even a subtextual kind of oh it was the time there it was actually put in the text and This is as I talked with some of the darker tales that we've had recently. I want to try and do these stories as they are and to not sanitize them and not to stick my fingers in anybody's ears. But I also don't want to like reinforce any of this bad shit either and so I think that's how I do. I will like tell my clear as water version of them that isn't incredibly problematic and toxic to my to the best of my ability but then we'll talk about those more troublesome uh, those troublesome elements in the post show talks which is where they should be for but it feels like a very it's a very different world you can see how this isn't the four branches of the Mabinogi and it's a whole new cast of characters it's a whole new world we're entering more britain now more or in more england than wales wales quite interestingly enough But most of the story, the characters, except for Arthur himself, have these very Welsh names are presented still as these very Welsh characters. So it's still very much rooted in the Celtic origins, which is why I still feel quite justified in adapting them for this podcast. But unfortunately, I'm going to have to wrap things up before I can't keep you all day. Um. We'll chat more throughout the other episodes. We're going to be with Peredir for a little while, for the next couple of weeks. So it'll be fun exploring with him. But I hope you enjoyed it. Um, this was a, a massive challenge to begin to adapt, uh, but I'm delighted with it. I had a great time reading it there, and I really liked the flow and the characterization of it. I like, that, I like it when there's like dominant characters, that there is just a few of them that can come back to. That help, helps for a, a clearer story. But as always, please do let me know what you think. Uh, follow me on Instagram at Fireside Bard, Email me at firesidebard at gmail.com. Uh, join Headstuff Plus. Uh, link is in the description there to take you straight to headstuffpodcast.com. You can join for as little as five euro a month. Brand new episode, bonus episode, members only exclusive interview. With Mark Williams, author of Ireland's Immortals. Next week we will have a story of Peredir's pursuit of a love. This unknown, unnamed love that he fantasises about, which has very interesting parallels, I think, to Deirdre of the Sorrows. Anyone remember that tale when we adapted it last year the year before? Where she fantasises about a man with the same image, just gender-reversed. Where she fantasises about a man with ebony black hair and pale white skin and blood-red lips and cheeks. Very interesting. I'm sure a very common element in world mythologies and folklore. Such a striking image. And I always like it when a raven pops up, when the morrigan rears her gorgeous head. I will see you all. You'll hear me all next time. But remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside.
0: This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the podcast studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.